Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I love it when Canadian guests come on the Intentional Encourager podcast because they have a language all their own and they are just some of the most warm, wonderful, unique people that I know. And this gentleman is no exception. He teaches critical media skills and strategies for the digital first business era. Now, call her me dumbfounded, but Rob's going to tell you about it. And you can find him on LinkedIn at Rob Deptford, D-E-P-T-F-O-R-D, but you can find him right here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Rob, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, sir? Well, I'm doing really well, Brian. I appreciate the invite to come on, and I'm glad we were finally able to get on. I know we've had some challenges with weather and things. So. It has at the time that we're recording this. Um, my area has gone through three winter storms that started actually a couple of weeks ago. And of course, many parts of the country are still digging out, but it's old hat for you in Canada. You, you guys are, are just used to having in Western Canada, where you live, you're, you're used to having robust winters to, to say the least. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, cold and snow and all of that stuff is just part of the lifestyle here and we embrace it. Of course, we're, we're built for it, right? The infrastructure is built for it. We have snow plows and you know, we have insulation in our homes. Uh, so, you know, for us, we take it in stride um, and uh, it's not been quite so easy for parts of the U.S. that uh, maybe don't have the same resources. So we're glad it's now warming up for those people, for sure, and you included. Well, we appreciate that. I want to start here with our conversation, Rob, because every part of the globe has been affected. I was just talking yesterday to a friend of mine that lives in Australia, and, and now I'm speaking to you in Western Canada. And it's funny how COVID-19 has changed things in different parts of the country. In my part of the country, with a smaller population, we haven't seen the devastating effects that other places have seen. Take me through what the last year has been like for you and your family and your business around the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, it's been a year of learning, hasn't it? Um, boy, we, uh, we were just talking about this. My wife and I were just talking about this, this uh, over the course of this week because uh, as we're recording this, it's the last week of February. And uh, normally we would be away skiing. And last year at this time we were, and we were just starting to hear about COVID-19 in, in Canada. And, uh, you know, at that time it was really downplayed and uh, people were, were really talking about how they would, they were, they were thinking it would get under control in some way and we weren't going to let it take over our lives. And of course it did take over our lives and, uh, and has been um, quite a, a challenging thing to deal with for, for many people in many parts of the world. Um, so for us, uh, as things progressed, um, you know, we uh, we felt it like a lot of other people felt it. Uh, we started having uh, lockdowns and things eventually. Uh, businesses just had no other choice but to close uh, due to government regulations to try to contain the virus and, and really to try to keep the hospital system, the healthcare system, uh, 
reserve their capacity, so to speak, enable them to treat the people that needed the treatment uh, and not be overwhelmed. And so, um, you know, my business locally pretty much vanished initially. Um, you know, luckily I do some online things too. So I've still got that mm -hmm. sort of happening a little bit, but even that has had, a, has been impacted um, because everybody uh, suddenly was struggling, right? Um, if your customers are not coming in to see you and to pay you for your goods and services, well, then you don't necessarily have money to pay the people who service your business. So. And Rob, you live in a, in a part of Western Canada that I, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with the Calgary area. Obviously, uh, you guys have professional sports with the Calgary Flames and in the CFL, the, the Calgary Stampeders. Of course, Calgary is world famous for the rodeo that happens every year there. I've got to ask you this, um, and I don't know if you're a, a sports fan or not, but hockey obviously was affected, which is a huge part of, of your city's culture and vibrance and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they got to have the Calgary Stampede last year in 2020. Did they did they get to have the Stampede? So the Stampede was gone. How did those events that 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 Calgarians are used to having in that that area of the world? And you guys are in far western Canada. So there there really isn't much else but what happens there in Calgary. And of course, uh Calgary was also, weren't you guys in Olympic City many years ago to had hosted the Winter Olympics and things? 1988. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was 88. And so again, how is that impacted? Because you talked about local businesses, you talked about your business vanishing. What have you seen outside of the local area as far as those events that that people in your area were used to counting on and having year in and year out? And of course, with the Flames, you have uh, you have 41 home games a year with the Calgary Flames. I think this was the first time in in decades where the CFL did not even have a season at all. So folks that were used to watching the, the Rough Riders or the, uh, the Stampeders play, take me what that's what, what the Calgary, the city was like this summer and this fall without having those events in place. Well, very quiet, uh, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I think there's a sense of disappointment, especially with the Calgary Stampede. And it was the first time in, I forget how many decades that, uh, that the Stampede has not happened. Um, but, uh, you know, normally we would make it happen one way or another, uh, even when things try to, try to derail us. Like in, in 2013, we had a massive flood in the city. And it was uh, late in the spring and, and enough of a disruption that we were concerned that the Calgary Stampede would be cancelled. Uh, but the community came together tremendously and worked and, and got everything cleaned up and managed to pull it off. Uh, the Stampede happens, you know, typically uh, first week of July or so. Uh, and, uh, and we were able to do it. The COVID-19 virus is something that... Um, you know, you can't bring a community together in the same way because we're not allowed to gather, right? So, yeah. so we have to we have to come together as a community spiritually. So for the Stampede and for the hockey games, um, you know, really, I, I think the spirit is very much still there. Everybody uh, looks forward to you know to when we're able to gather and and enjoy those kinds of events again. Uh, but in the meantime, um, you know, we, uh, we we sort of just keep it in our hearts, right? And now we've got hockey on television again as they they play without any crowds. So there's that mm -hmm. uh, for those of us who are, are fans and want to get our fix, so to speak. Uh, it sounds like the CFL will have a season this year. 
but again, no fans in the stands is what the plan looks to be at the moment. Um, so, you know, we, we take it in stride. Uh, because we have to, right? Yeah. We have to. Yeah. Uh, and we just know that there's a bigger purpose, and that's to protect the well-being of society at the moment and keep everybody healthy until we get some vaccines happening here. Rob, let me ask you something. In your business, and, and you do a lot with, with helping folks um, that are camera shy. We'll get into that as well, too. I love that part where you talk about helping folks that are camera shy. A lot of folks out there that want to, to do more things digitally with videos, but, but just don't have that. What was the biggest effect that you saw in your business as a whole? Because you mentioned a lot of people were not coming to you and, and getting your services and things that you offer. What was the biggest effect to you in your business that you saw that, that kind of made you take pause and say, okay, if we could, if we could rewind the year and do this differently, we would have pivoted in this way. Well, the, the thing that disappeared for me was the local uh, production work, right? Um, because all of a sudden you can't go on site at a business to do any of that stuff. Uh, and, uh, and so um, with that being uh you know, a more significant piece of the business to have that vanish. It was sort of like, well, okay, um, you know, this is a big change. And what are we going to do now to, to continue on and move forward and continue to be able to be in business? Because, you know, the reality is, unfortunately, a lot of businesses are just not making it. Uh, yeah. You know, I saw a stat here recently that said something like 10,000 restaurants have already closed. Um, so it's tough out there, right? So we have to look at, well, how can we now adapt? And what are things going to be like as we go forward as consumer habits change? Yeah. Um, and probably aren't going to go entirely back to the way they were now, right? Yeah. Um, so that really was a, an opportunity. I, I look at it as an opportunity to take stock of the business um, think about what people might demand going forward. Um, and I was already into the digital first stuff anyway, right? Which is really about being communication centric and in the online space. Um, and so looking at that piece and expanding it. Um, and that's kind of where we're at now and what I'm uh, working on at the moment um, and anticipating that that's where we're going to continue to be going forward. I loved looking at something in your in your LinkedIn profile because you and I have a have kindred spirit here. I started out 31 years ago at Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia to be a broadcasting major. I started out wanting to be in in and do play-by-play -play for radio. And I've been very fortunate that I've gotten to do a lot of radio in the last 18 years, even though I have a even though I switched majors and got a marketing degree. And then I thought, well, I want to go into the, you know, I had a, a friend in the radio business that said, you ought to go into print journalism. So I did that for a while until uh, it came time to write for my college's newspaper. And I had two part-time jobs that paid me and, and they wanted to work me for a semester with the paper that didn't pay me. And I had bills to pay. So I had a decision to make, but yeah. I, you know, that, that is, that is such a unifying thing. And I, and I understand that world well, staying in it and, and looking at it from a distance. Let me ask you this. How do you see the medium of broadcasting changing now? Because for the last year, even, even news programs and sports like ESPN here in the States, they were doing a lot of their live shows, if you will, 
with their analysts and guests working from a remote studio, like we're doing here with, with our discussion here on the podcast. Um, you, you see the videos on YouTube where the mom has her toddler. She's trying to do her live news at six o'clock and the toddler walks into the shot or something like that. How do you see that progressing and changing in the broadcast medium with, with studios and things like that? Do you see more and more news and, and entertainment outlets doing those remote types of things and, and interweaving that going forward? Or do you think at some point they'll return to the, the, to the controlled environment? I say that in air quotes, the controlled environment of a studio. You, you know that world very well. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'd, I'd be curious to see like a survey or something on that, what the viewers and the, the consumers think about how the broadcast industry is delivering their content, um, you know, under the circumstances where we, we really don't have any choice in the matter. Um, and, and when you look at these people delivering from their living rooms uh, or their kitchens or what have you, Honestly, the worst thing I've seen is a little bit of a delay in the live programming, right? Where somebody may be asking a question and you've got a two or three second delay between the question and the response, or, or people step on each other while they're talking if there are a few people involved in the show. Um, but it hasn't been that bad, really, I, I think, anyway. Um, and so... You know, there's something to be said, I think, for the controlled studio environment, for sure, in terms of production value, production quality. But then I have to ask myself, do people... Do people care about that? Do they care enough about the production value that um, that they want to see broadcast go back to that, or would they rather see what real people are doing in their actual homes in their in their kitchens? Right? Is that more relatable, and is there some value to that? Well, and um, and I love the set. You know, it, it, for those of you watching on YouTube, Rob's got a really nice set. I'm, I'm envious of the setup, but you can really take a corner, and that's what I've done. Rob, I, I have a detached, fully electric building with heat and things like that that I'm in. I took a corner of this room, and that's where I, I've kind of made a little makeshift broadcast studio with a microphone and a couple lights and a webcam. And you're able to replicate that in, in that surrounding where you can really take that and unless you told folks what you were doing and how you were doing it, to your point about the delay, but in some cases it's so seamless you really don't know that that person's there with virtual backgrounds and things like that. Now, if there's a bookcase behind them or trophies, then obviously you realize, okay, that's not in the studio because it's it's different than um, than what you would have in a studio setup and things like that. But it, but to your point, it can be seamless. I want to go here for just a minute. How important is now the quality of the content that, that, that folks are delivering? Because, again, when you take out the controllables and you put them in the hands of the person delivering the content, that person's setting up their own mic, they're setting up their own lighting, they're setting up their own microphones. They're becoming basically their own producer and technical person right there in their own home and kind of taking the bat out of the hands of the folks that would normally do that in the studio and make sure that the camera, you know, make sure the, the lav mic was, was on properly and the lighting was good and the makeup was good and things like that. Well, now they're having to do that all remotely. Do you see 
the the industry as a whole maybe maybe getting some attrition from some of those folks doing that job H- how do you see it going forward what do you think the next two or three years looks like or even five years uh, in in the broadcast medium around the the new way folks have done it since the pandemic well i think there'll continue to be efficiencies made regardless right like if i think back to when i went to broadcast school uh, even then you know i was a, a news a broadcast news major um, and so, you know, radio and television news was was kind of the main piece of my training. Um, but even then, we still learned how to operate the lighting and the audio and the cameras and, you know, all of the things behind the scenes that happen in post-production. Uh, not much was digital back then. But well, Rob, here's the thing, too. And, and, and I know a couple local, I know a couple of our local sports guys. They go out and shoot the they'll they'll go from high school to high school on a Tuesday night or a Friday night here for basketball. They'll go in for 20 or 30 minutes with a camera. They'll yeah. shoot that film. They'll go to another school. Let's say there's another school playing 10 minutes down the road. They'll go there, grab some film for 15 or 20 minutes, and they'll, they'll just hop to those different places and they'll come back and they'll do all their post edit themselves. And by the time it's 11 o'clock, and they're ready for the news. They've been, they've not only shot it, but they've edited it, and and now they're doing the live voiceover over the highlights. So yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, when you're in journalism and broadcasting school, you literally learn how to do everything, don't you? Well, we we certainly did. Um, and uh, you know, I think what's different now is it's just become easier. Uh, we're in an age where, you know, you don't need the giant camera that weighs 100 pounds that you have to you know, hold over your shoulder. Uh, the tripods we used to pack around were, were solid wood and they were pretty heavy too. Now you've got things that, um, that are much smaller and lighter and easier to operate, uh, very intuitive even. Uh, and when you look at uh, new, even a news scrum, as we call it, right, where there's a gathering of reporters at some kind of event, um, you know, many of them will have the professional equipment, but a lot of them too will just be, you know, they'll have their smartphone rolling uh, and gathering some footage that way, because let's face it, smartphones have come a long way over the years and the cameras are, you know, there's a, there are smartphones that are shooting in 8K now, which is incredible. So, um, so yeah, I mean, anybody can do this and, uh, and there are ways to learn how to do it uh, in the online space. So uh, you don't need four years of journalism school anymore to figure out how it's done. Absolutely. Let's step aside, take a quick break back in a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote.
Rob, I got to ask you something, something that, that was in your LinkedIn profile, and I love it. You just have to decide you're going to thrive in the digital economy. I love that. That is so good. I, I love that. Can you expound on that for a minute? What what does thriving in the digital economy mean? For me, it means setting yourself up to have success, to be future proofed, so to speak, right? And um, and I think a lot of people are in survival mode right now. Um, and with the right strategies and the right attitude, they don't have to be in survival mode. Uh, they can be thinking about uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, what will be the consumer behavior going forward? What can we anticipate from the market? How will that affect my business? And how can I set myself up understanding that the digital uh, economy is a significant part of this? How can I set myself up to be successful and thrive going forward? So um, it is a decision, I think, because uh, from my perspective, the tools are certainly available, easily available even. Uh, we just have to be willing to accept that things are changing and make some decisions about how we're going to roll with that change. Yeah, because content now, and we were talking about that just a, a minute ago, I can remember 1990 when I started a journalism school at Marshall University in Huntington. There was radio, television, and print, and that was yeah. it. And you either went into one of those three mediums. And, and at that time, Marshall's uh, broadcasting school had some unbelievable people. So you either turned on your television. You got your news in three sources, basically. Yeah. You, got, you got your news in three sources. There wasn't. And 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 I'll say that whether you're whether you're conservative or liberal here in the United States, of course, last week we lost Rush Limbaugh. And I've said this about Rush, that Rush was again, I was talking to a friend of mine that's been in the radio business almost 35 years, and he said there would not be talk radio without a guy like Rush Limbaugh, at least here in the United States, because many more stations opened up channels in their platforms to accommodate talk radio. And now there's sports talk radio, there's political, there's just about any type of talk radio that you can listen to. But now all of a sudden, Rob, in, in, and you talk about this in your profile as well too, and I love this, it's a digital first business area. So if you're not on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, if you're not going digital first, then you're really kind of behind the times in setting that. Let me ask you from a crystal ball standpoint, where does digital go next? Because as we just mentioned, there was radio, TV, and, and print journalism. Now it's digital. Where do we go from here, in your opinion? Well, I watch my kids to try to figure out what's happening there, to be honest with you, because, um, you know, that's the space they live in constantly. Uh, it's where, especially now with, you know, with the pandemic, they're living there and, and that's where they connect with their friends. That's where they have done their schoolwork. Uh, that's where they do their, their window shopping, so to speak, and then their actual shopping when they have some money to spend. Uh, everything in life is happening in that space for them. Um, and it just is second nature. They don't even think twice about it. Uh, it's, it's where they go first. And that's 
partly where digital first comes from, I think, for me. Um, so I, I really think that that will be the first step for everybody, even if you're a little bit old school and you still like the bricks and mortar stuff. And and there is there there will be a place for that. So I don't think there's any question that that's going it's not going to disappear entirely. Um, but the question really for business is what piece is going to be dig digital first for me. Um, and uh, it really is about being communication centric. So, you know, if I've got a restaurant and somebody down the street has got a restaurant as well, and somebody, uh, let's say they're both hamburger joints, uh, and somebody Googles, where can I find the best hamburger? Well, which one is going to come up in the Google search? Right? Yeah. And, and that's probably going to be the one that's going to win the business. Yeah. Um, so it really is about that presence in the online space and establishing that and growing a digital footprint sizable enough that you can be discovered. You know, Rob, it's funny. And I want to take us back just a, a minute. You were talking about the media scrum that happens at, when, when a catastrophic event happens or a press conference, things like that. And we've all seen it. And, and we, we, we see it with press conferences here in the U.S. when, when uh, the president's press secretary speaks, there's all these reporters, you know, who's president or, you know, the press secretary. And it is, it's, it's, it is a scrum. I want to go back here for just a minute, if we can. Now with, and, and, and you so brilliantly put it, everyone is a broadcaster in the palm of their hand. You can be a broad, you literally can broadcast from the palm of your hand. When you look at that, as, as someone that has that background, and, and I'll share this with you. Here, here's where I want to go with the conversation. With, with my journalism training, a lot of times it, it bothers me when people rush to a story, rush to be the first to break a story. In other words, we, we, the way you and I were taught was vet your sources, make sure it's accurate, make sure everything is in line. We don't run anything or we don't broadcast anything without it being vetted. And nowadays, Rob, the, the main reason I have Twitter is for breaking news. Yeah. Because it seems to be that digital first, to your point about digital first, it seems as though many news outlets want to rush to, to break a story on Twitter or a reporter wants to break a story on Twitter or on Instagram first. And they also gather from those digital sources. How do we get that reining in back in line to where we, we go back to some of those old principles that worked? Because I love what you said about old school. And I think some of those old principles about vetting sources and making sure you have everything right. How do we get back to that? How do we, how do we merge the, the speed of the digital first medium with the principles of getting it right. That's uh, I, I've had a lot of conversations on this topic, and it's interesting as we as we speak. Um, just in the last couple of days, we've seen uh, Australia setting an example, uh, bringing in legislation that will force uh, the online giants Google and Facebook and others to actually pay for content from. Uh, what I would what I would call credible news sources, right? The traditional yeah. traditional news sources, um, those news sources that do invest in uh, fact checking and investigating and and making sure it is right before they uh, put it out there to the world. 
So, you know, when I see things like that, that gives me a little bit of, of hope and uh, makes me feel a bit encouraged that there is still some value in, um, you know, journalism uh, as a profession and uh, the things that come along with that, the people who, who are trained observers and understand what needs to be done to get that inf information right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to see because everybody could be a broadcaster because they're all packing a smartphone. Um, you know, the, the viewers are the ones that ultimately decide what they're going to value. So are they going to value uh, somebody who just picks up their phone and, and delivers a headline? Or are they going to value uh, a source that does a little bit more work and puts in a little bit more effort um, and delivers something a little bit more um, complete, let's say? Um, I, I wish I could tell you. I, 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 I don't no, it's, it's that. I think no, it's interesting. And, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's interesting because when, when I was in journalism school and, and I worked at, at our local paper and, and I saw guys, we, we had one sports writer. He's still there. Very, very talented sports writer. He was so gifted at writing the lead. Yep. And, and, and I would, I would read and I, I had read his stuff and I said, what makes it? And he said, if I don't get the lead right, how can I expect the reader to go down and read the rest of the story? I've got to hook them in the first sentence yeah. to continue to get them to read. And I think people have, again, we, we, we have tried to make the hook better than the story when it should flow together. Your lead should lead into a great story. The, the best part of your story should never be the lead. If that's the best part of your story, then there's no sense of writing the story. Because again, if 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 all the sizzle is right there in the first sentence, and why do I need to read the rest of it? And so, yeah, I, Rob, I guess you, I guess guys like you and I that have a little gray in our our hair and, and beard, we just kind of view things differently. Because I, I do, I think things should be done well. I think we should have journalists that have integrity to make sure the story is correct before ever running it, because there would be far less retractions. There'd be far less um, questioning the, the, the intent of the media and, and at least here in the States. Now I don't know what, how it is in Canada, but there would be far less questioning the media as a, as credible sources and, and reliable sources. If we just took a few extra minutes to make sure that, that things were accurate. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I get it. I mean, broadcast especially has always been a business that runs on on time. It depends on the clock, right? I, I remember a professor in university saying that, uh, you know, the news doesn't start at 6.01. It starts at 6 o'clock. So, you know, if, if you don't have your package together by airtime, it doesn't air. Um, so there is a, a, an element of having to sort of rush to air, I guess. And there is, in the bigger picture, the ratings race and that kind of stuff happening that, you know. You know, it's the same thing in the newspaper business. I can remember if, if you know, I, I, I covered a few ball games and, and the, the assistant sports editor said, we go off the floor at 11. Yeah. I better have that thing, that story done and, and to them before you know at least by 11 because they you know they could they had an hour to, to put the paper together but you do you learn to work on deadlines you learn to work on time and and in this business first era let me step aside we'll take a quick break when we come back i want to talk to rob about his incredible story you're going to want to hear this and and i'm telling you it's going to be phenomenal come back here in just a moment on the intentional courage podcast 
Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Rob, let's dive into your story. I want to go from point A to point B. Take me as far back as you want to take me in your life. Because we've talked about uh, digital, and you've alluded to some things that you've done before with going to broadcasting school and things like that. Take me from point A to point B as far back as you want to go and just kind of tell folks about your life. Well, we, we could be here a long time, but uh, <laughs> as, as far as... Um, you know, as, as far as my career and, and other things in life that have been significant, I guess, um, that have led to kind of where, where I'm at today, um, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, and I, I, there's certainly a lot that I look back on and go, well, okay, you know, there, th this clearly was part of the plan for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> this, this fits, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Um, and um, when I go back to starting out in broadcast, you know, it was a pretty short-lived career. Um, and uh, you know how this works, right? Typically in the broadcast industry, uh, you know, you you have to you're you're a nomad. You have to move around uh, from town to town, up and down the dial, as they as the theme song for WKRP in Cincinnati. Says, hey, anytime right? we can so. get a '70s television show reference here, and being a baby of the '70s, God bless you, Rob Deptford. I love it. Thank you, man. Absolutely. And uh, there's probably still reruns on someplace, but, um, Dr. But Johnny is... fever, one of the greatest disc jockey nicknames of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, but there's some truth to that. Right. Um, and, um, and so you have to be prepared to do that and, and basically put your time in, uh, for, uh, terrible pay, frankly. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think I was working for, uh, for station branded coffee mugs and, and, you know, things like that. T-shirts maybe once in a while. And that free was free meals at local restaurants. Yeah. That's what, that, that, yeah. That's what guys that I worked with in the paper business, that's what they lived for was, was comped meals, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so, you know, I had my taste of that, but, uh, life changes. And my wife at the time uh, landed a pretty good job uh, that um, that was not uh, not not going to make it easy for me to move around the country and work my way up the proverbial ladder, so to speak. 
Um, and, and so I made some decisions and I, I crossed over to the dark side, as we call it in journalism, and ended up doing you know, corporate communication stuff and marketing stuff. And, uh, and for the first time in my life, had a regular Monday to Friday work week and a paycheck that, uh, that had numbers I could count. <laughs> um, and, um, and it worked out pretty well. And looking back at that transition, what ended up happening was throughout my career as I got and, you know, kind of worked my way through various marketing and communication roles, I always came back to that broadcast foundation and um, the ability to do public speaking, um, talk about uh, what we were doing in, in terms of strategic planning and things along the way and, and deliver messages clearly and succinctly. Um, those are, are skills that have served me well throughout my career. And those are things I come back to now when I talk about people uh, delivering what they do you know, in a way that an audience will resonate in the digital space. Um, these are the same skills. These are the things that, and really anybody can learn, right? And how well, do you do that? Rob, it's, it's, and I don't mean to interrupt, it, it is becoming a trusted voice. Yes. And I can think yeah. about, we still have a, a news anchor here in the area that I live in. He's been retired for almost 20 years, maybe a little bit longer, but he still does commercials for a local Toyota dealer. Yeah. And there are still folks that that resonate with him, and they go, "Oh, I remember when it, when he was a ki- when I was a kid, he was the guy on TV. He was the broadcaster on TV." Um, I have a dear friend of I have a dear friend of mine. Um, he does the pregame for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He worked in this market in the early '80s as a as the weekend sportscaster. Moved yeah. to Columbus, and and we've we've kept up with each other. But my 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 aunt and uncle had a a little snack bar across the street from the TV station, and they would come across the street and and get hot dogs and snacks and popcorn and things like that. And so we just kind of followed each other. But you're right. It, one, it's a nomadic lifestyle. You have to move from place to place. And two, if you're in a market for a certain length of time, you can be in a market three to five years, and you can be established in that market. Yeah, especially in television. You can really get established in that marketplace. So I want to jump in there because I I love what you said about returning back to those tried and true philosophies and becoming trusted. That's that's how credibility is established. When people know your face and they see you every night, you eat dinner with them, so to speak. Yeah, they're sitting in front of their television. You're they're watching the news as they're eating dinner. You're having dinner with those families every night. And so I, I love, I forgive me for interrupting there. I just, I, I had to hit on what you said there about being a trusted voice. Let me ask you this, when you would take these ideas about saying messaging and, and having succinct, clear messaging in, in, in the corporate world, what was the first reaction that people would give you to those things, taking those broadcast principles and applying them to the business world? Some of the things I'd hear, I'd hear, wow, you know, what a great speaker you are <laughs> once in a while, right? And I just say, what so, I'm thinking is how great your hair is, man. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I am really, really yeah. digging on. I, I've got some man envy here, man. I'm jealous of the hair. I got to tell you, Rob. I, uh, you should have seen it before our barber shops reopened here a month ago. It was getting out of control, but, uh, <laughs> were you getting I, the Don, were you getting the Don King look going, you know, the kind of the straight, you know, the kind of the straight up there? 
a little bit, a little bit. And it's pretty wavy too. So yeah, it was getting uh, getting pretty tough to manage for a yeah. little while there. Um, yeah, no, it, it's uh, I'm blessed with hair for sure, and I'll I'll take it as long as I can keep it. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I just thinking about, um, you know, I I, I guess. Really, the reaction was, how do you say so much in so little time, right? How do you how do you tell me this huge story in like two sentences? And there's a there's a method to that, right? And that's what we learn in journalism school. And you talk about the headlines earlier, and and you know things that eventually uh, we perceive to be clickbait because there has been a lot of that sort of click on this headline, and then there's yeah. no substance after that. But for somebody who's doing it right, um, there's a terrific headline that is a hook, and then there is some substance, and it's structured in that inverted pyramid style, right, where uh, where you can read a few lines of a story if it's a print story, or you can listen to a few sentences, and you you know you know what right. happened today, right? If whatever you're reporting on, you get the idea of the story right now. And then the rest of it is the supporting detail that completes the story. And you can choose to read it or, or listen if you have time or not. It doesn't matter. You still will have an understanding that you can go away with. So there is some strategy behind delivering messages in business in that same kind of way, uh, where you can leave an audience with what happened today or what was my plan or what am I selling or what, you know, whatever the message needs to be from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and people have clarity when they come away from hearing what it is you have to tell them in that type of, of storytelling format. Well, you know, here's the thing, Rob, is that most companies, especially in a, in a crisis situation, will react in a soundbite. Yeah. Because that's the way most people, at least here in the States, that's how most people like to 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 get their news is in sound bites and you to your point you don't hear the context you don't hear the details and there are a lot of details that need to be transmitted you really need the the extra details and and, and again i think we have done our society a disservice by just giving them five to ten second clips or giving them five to, to ten second bites when you finally were able to relate this, how did the the businesses that you worked with, how did their communication get better? Well, efficiency is tremendous when it comes to talking to your customers. And um, I think you know one of the big things that I see is when people adopt this kind of communication-centric style and they're doing it well, they understand the message they're delivering and they're structuring it well, and it's, it's something that they know their audience will appreciate. Um, and that's the biggest thing, right, is, is understanding who is my audience and what are they expecting from me. And when you know that, then you, you can kind of start reverse engineering things. Um, but that's when you start to see the bigger results, right? The six o'clock news anchor effect and the trust that comes with that as you're, as you're consistent uh, in delivering your message um, and building that trust and eventually establishing a relationship through engagement, uh, however that looks. Uh, it, it may, maybe it's through social media for a lot of businesses um, and, uh, and ultimately generating revenue for the business from yeah. that targeted audience yeah. that you've reached out to. Well, and, and again, I think we all can get better in messaging. 
I think whether whether you do a podcast, whether you do uh, marketing, business, things like that, every even personally, I think we can all get better. Even messaging to our families, messaging to our kids, messaging to to people that we love, because I think a lot of times we get so caught up in in saying, "Well, let me just give you the highlights." I'm married to somebody that likes the details. Me, I'm just like, tell me the highlights. Tell me what you want to do. Let me let me process it. Let me make sense. My wife is like, well, I need details. I want to read the whole story and things like that. So I love what you said there. Let me pivot real quick. I got to ask you this. Take me through the biggest obstacle, either professionally or personally, that you've encountered and, and, and the lesson you learned from overcoming that obstacle. Oh boy. Uh, you know, we all have, uh, challenges in life. That's for sure. So, you know, I could go a few different directions, but definitely one of the biggest ones for me was, uh, was the leap, um, into entrepreneurship. Um, you know, having worked for somebody else for a significant portion of my career and then making the decision to go, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to cut loose here and I'm going to try on my own and we're going to sink or swim. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of fear that comes with that. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you have to have a lot of courage to counter that fear for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there have been ups and downs, um, and, and we're going through another one of those downtimes right now, right? A lot of us yeah. are, um, but, uh, having had some experience with it, we know that good times will come back too. So, um, you know, that, uh, that for me probably is one of the bigger ones is making that leap. And what really is, is a leap of faith. I think for a lot of people who choose to go the entrepreneurial entrepreneurship, uh, route, um, and, uh, and I'm lucky it's worked out. Man, that's that, that is well, and, and listen, I think we may, there might be somebody listening to this podcast that says, I've always wanted to do this, but. I've always wanted to start my business, but we're in the pandemic and I don't know if I can. And what about the money? And I, I love what you said there about taking that leap of faith, because a lot of times you have a tremendous idea. You have the desire, you know what your purpose is, but a lot of times fear holds you back from really going all in. And doing what you're you're supposed to do, you know what you're supposed to do. It's just taking that leap of faith. So, piggybacking off of that, Rob, share with the audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Well, when I think about where I've come from and where I am now, um, the question I think about often is, what legacy do I really want to leave here as I'm planning what's next? Um, and, uh, and when I, you know, when I really evaluate what I'm doing and, and even the downtimes like we're going through now, uh, all of this is going to be part of the, the legacy I leave because there's learning in every step. And, um, so really for the people who might be watching, listening, uh, who may be experiencing some challenges, especially through this pandemic, um, you know, to me, I think there is hope for the future. Um, there are a lot of opportunities when we look historically at periods of, of difficult times. Uh, we've always come out of it 
much better typically. Um, so I see no reason for anything to be different this time from that perspective. I really think we're going to learn a lot from this experience. Uh, many of us will adapt and things will be pretty good, I think, going forward. So I, I just encourage people to, to stay hopeful, keep working at things, uh, because I, I really do think that there is a lot of opportunity. Very well said. Very well said. I, I love that. And, and, and I love what you said there about the legacy you want to leave. That, that is so important to me. It's why I wrote my book, People Buy From People. I wanted to share the legacy that my late father left me. And, and, and I love that because I don't think we think about legacy enough, Rob. I, I think we, we just kind of go, okay, what I do in life when, when, when it's all said and done, it's, it's leaving inheritance to our kids instead of leaving a legacy along with that. So, man, thank you for sharing that. Tell folks how they can connect with you, the different platforms and things like that. Because I know once people hear you and they see you, they're going to want to connect with you. So tell folks how they can do that. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. We talked about that earlier. Uh, I'm on YouTube as well. If you just look for uh, Robert Deptford on YouTube, you'll, you'll come across my channel there. Um, and robertdeptford.com. Uh, that's the website. And uh, we've got some other things in the works too that are going to be not quite ready to announce yet. But if you stay tuned to robertdeptford.com, uh, you'll see some stuff come up there uh, not too far off in the future. So. Robert Deptford.com. D E P T F O R D. You got to put that T in there. D E P F O R D. Must be a Canadian thing. I, I don't know. Rob, uh, yeah. What a great British conversation. Heritage. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. British Canadian. Yeah. There you go. But uh, Rob, again, what a pleasure to have you on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian. It's been a great conversation. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.